0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not address, address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, so in this passage the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians on the subject of spiritual maturity. He's, he's writing about the ways that we are to change and grow as we respond to God's love for us in Christ, just how we're to grow. And so to work our way through these verses I want to touch on three thoughts. First I'd like to talk about the need for growth as followers of Jesus, our need for growth. Secondly, I'd like to talk about the evidence that we are growing. And then uh, thirdly, the power that makes us grow. So the need for growth, the evidence of it, and the power. So we'll start with the need. Um, The people who were addressed in this passage, they were members of a church in the ancient city of Corinth. Paul and his ministry team had started the church in that city several years before this. And it's estimated by scholars that at the time Paul wrote this letter, the more seasoned believers in that church, the ones who had been following Christ the longest, they had been Christians for about three or four years. And Paul says to them here, he says, you know, I really wish that I could talk with you about the more advanced topics in the Christian life, He says, but I feel like you're not ready for it. He says, it seems like you're still babies. You're just infants who need milk and you can't handle solid food. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, right? But um, the the wonderful thing to notice here is that even, even though, yes, the apostle chides them for their lack of growth, did you notice he still refers to them, verse one, as brothers and sisters. In other words, even though they're, they're floundering as followers of Christ, they're really struggling, their standing in God's family has not changed. It's not been jeopardized by their lack of progress. They're still brothers. They're still sisters. And, and I think this is important for us to remember because, listen, if this has not happened to you yet, it might. The day may come when you show up in church on a Sunday morning feeling like you are perhaps the worst Christian in the entire world. I mean, and maybe for good reason, all right? Maybe you've, you've fallen into sin. Maybe you're struggling with doubts. Maybe you've hurt someone you love. Maybe you've just been very inconsistent. The day, the day may come when you feel like you're the first, the worst Christian in the world. And let me tell you what's going to happen on that day. You'll walk into this church. God the Father will look at you, break into a big smile, open wide his arms, and say, my daughter, my son, I love you. Welcome home. Welcome home. You see, the gospel tells us that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are accepted. We are adopted into God's family. And here's the good news, that's not going to change, right? In other words, as a believer, you're standing in God's family. Listen, it's not based on what you do, not based on what you feel, it's not based on what you don't do or don't feel. Listen, as a believer, you're standing in the family. It's it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Like in any household, a newborn infant is just as much as part of the family as anyone else, right? Just as loved as anyone else. That's how it is in the family of God. But just as it is in any family, the hope is that the newborn will grow. The the hope is that as we follow Christ, we will mature, we'll change. And and this uh, this is what had the Apostle Paul so concerned for these people to whom he was writing. He just felt like they were not growing. And so he says to them, Verse 1 and 2, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, he said, you're still not ready. So this is important for us to notice that God's intention for us as followers of his Son is that we grow, that we mature. And you you actually see this theme throughout the New Testament. Uh 2 Peter 3:18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4:15 says, Let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Hebrews 6, verse 1 says, Leaving behind the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. So God's desire for us as followers of His Son is that we make progress, little by little, step by step, day by day, that we become more and more like His Son. So in this passage, very clearly, you see the need for growth. Se- secondly, we also see the evidence of growth. How do, we, how do we know if we're maturing in our relationship with Christ? This, and this is where I think that the Corinthian Christians needed the most help. So the fact that in this passage, the apostle felt he needed to inform them that they were still infants, <laughs> that, that just seems to imply that they were not aware of that. They, 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 they thought they were mature in the Lord, but they weren't, and, and, and we might ask, how, how could that happen? Well, very often, I, I've, among Christians, we will have the wrong understanding of what spiritual maturity looks like. We, 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 we don't really understand this. So, for example, if you read on in this book, you get to chapter eight, you see that some people in the Corinthian church were very proud of their knowledge. We all possess knowledge. That's something apparently that they would say about themselves, and listen, when you possess knowledge, when uh, you've read the Bible, when you've studied theology, when you know the doctrines of the church, when you possess knowledge, it's easy to mistake your growth in knowledge for a growth in character, right? But they're, they're not the same thing. Information is not transformation. I mean, you think, think of the ministry of Christ. Who were the people who gave Jesus the hardest time in his ministry? the smartest people in the room, right? The, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the ones who were the Bible experts. So they, they had all this knowledge, and their hearts were hardened to Christ. So it's, it's possible to possess great knowledge of the things of God without yet having been changed into the character of God. So an example from American history, Jonathan Edwards uh, is widely considered to be perhaps the most brilliant theologian and philosopher that America has ever produced. Just a genius, very godly man, and his, his, his writings on, on the things of God. His sermons and his writings are just amazing. And uh, they tell us that in the 1700s in New England, uh, when, where Jonathan Edwards lived, paper was very expensive, so he would often write his sermons or his essays on just any scrap of paper he could find. They'd find stuff written like on the back of a shopping list, things like that. And uh, in the archives of this brilliant man, they have found one of his sermons written on the back of the bill of sale of a 14-year-old African girl named Venus whom he purchased as a slave. He engaged in human trafficking. And the point is not that we have to cancel Jonathan Edwards or that we have to burn his books. That the point is that we just need to be aware that, that any one of us could possess great knowledge of the things of God and yet have areas of our lives that are just horribly dishonoring to him. Any one of us could do that. And in fact, that's a great danger. Someone has said most, of us, most people in the church are educated way beyond their level of obedience. So this, this was a problem in the Corinthian church. Why were they not growing? Well, some of them were mistaking uh, their knowledge for evidence that, that they were mature. Others were mistaking their giftedness for evidence that they were mature. Um, if you read uh, through the New Testament, you'll, you'll realize that the most extensive discussion of, of spiritual gifts, really in the whole Bible, is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. And the reason for that seems to be that there were, there, among the members of that congregation, there were some very, very gifted men and women. There were, there were people in that church who could prophesy, who could discern uh, between spirits. There were people who could speak forth words of knowledge. There were those who had gifts of healing, those who could perform miracles. We read that there were people there who could communicate in, in unknown languages. They were, there were just very, it was a church filled with very gifted people. And when someone is very spiritually gifted, it's easy to assume that they must also be very spiritually mature. Like if someone is a great preacher, there must be a great Christian, right? Or if someone is a great worship leader, it must be a great Christian. And I think we all know that's not, that's not always true. And so Paul's writing to these very gifted people, and, and you imagine their shock when he says, you're babies, you're infants, you haven't grown. So how do we know if we're maturing in Christ? It's, it, what is the evidence? It's not knowledge, it's not giftedness, what is it? Well, when you read through First Corinthians and you get to chapter 13, the apostle just comes out and tells us, and he says that the evidence of spiritual growth is love. It's love for others. You, you've heard this passage. Let me read it again, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all min- mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor or give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. so, so, listen, the reason the apostle was concerned for those Christians, it felt like they weren't growing the way they were. It wasn't because of the lack of knowledge. It wasn't because of the lack of, of, of spiritual giftedness. It was because he saw w- within them a, um, a glaring lack of love for each other. And you see that here. They're, they were apparently dividing into little cliques, little groups, criticizing others, looking down on each other. And he says to them in verse 3, he says, you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So the key evidence that a follower of Christ is growing is that they're, they're growing in their love for those around them. And you, again, you see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, he said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if what? If you love one another. Romans chapter 13, the apostle wrote this, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, he wrote, love is the fulfillment of the law. First John 4 verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And Galatians 5, verse 6 says, The only thing that counts. Now, imagine, imagine if this was just your motto in, in your life. There's only one thing that counts. Only one thing. He said, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, what's the evidence of, of uh, a growing Christian? He or she is growing in their love for those around them. So how do we do that? And that's the third point. Where does the power, where does the power to, to grow and mature in this way come from? It, it doesn't come from reading the right book. There are some good books out there. It, some, someone once recommended to me a book on love. You need to read that book. I read it. I don't know if I became more loving. Right? I became proud that I had read that book doesn't come from reading the right book. It doesn't come from joining the right church. It doesn't come from hearing the right sermon. It doesn't come from finding the right preacher. And that, that seems to be what the Corinthians were looking for. They were fascinated with preachers. You know, they were into their celebrity pastors. They, verse, verse 4, one says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. You know, Apollos was a leader in the early church. So for some reason, they thought that the determining factor in, in, in the progress they would make as believers, that it all hinged on the minister whose sermons they listen to. It's just not that the power to grow comes, comes from the preacher, and, and they were wrong. I, I don't know. I've listened to some great sermons by some great preachers and found myself not changing by it. The, and, and, and Paul points this out to them, verse 5 to 7. He says, What is Apollos? This guy. Scholars have pointed out that that seems to be unusual grammar. Normally, you would say, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? But he's like, they're not even worthy of a who. They're just, what? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow." And the apostle was not saying that their um, their ministers were unimportant. Both Paul and Apollos, through their service to the church, they had played important roles in the development of the congregation there at at, at Corinth. But Paul says that they were just servants. They were just instruments, tools in the hands of of God. He's saying that the the one who made things happen, the one who changed people's lives, the one, the one who restored sinners, the one who healed broken marriages, the one who set people free from addictions. He said, the one who does that is God. One uh, New Testament scholar named Leon Morris wrote this. He said, the attention, the attention of the Corinthians should have been f- fastened on God, who alone produces all spiritual work, not on His unimportant instruments. So what is the power that makes people grow? God does this. The Holy Spirit does this. Look again at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You could translate that spiritual people. I could not address you as as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. So if you look at the structure uh, of that sentence, the, the logical structure, he is saying that the opposite of people who are worldly and the opposite of infants in Christ is what? People who live by the spirit now you might say what is what is he talking about here well the bible tells us and this is amazing that whenever anyone turns to christ in faith place their trust in him have you done that yet Whenever anyone places, their, places their, their faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that the spirit of the living God himself, in this mysterious sense, comes to live and reside in that person's life. In, in chapter 2, verse 12 of, of this book, Paul wrote this, we have, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. In chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? So what the apostle wanted every member of that church to know, regardless of how much knowledge they had, regardless of how gifted they were, he wanted every one of them to know that the same Spirit who... um, Genesis 1, the same Spirit who hovered over the waters at the creation of the world. The same spirit who inspired the Old Testament prophets to write the words of Scripture. The same spirit who worked powerfully through the ministry of Jesus. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He wanted every one of them to know that that same spirit was living in them. And Christian, do you know that same Spirit is living in you. I wonder, I wonder if this encouraged them. It kind of feels bad to have an apostle tell you you're a baby, right? I wonder if it just encouraged them to hear that, yeah, they had a long way to go, but they weren't responsible to make that happen by themselves in their own strength. God was with them. God was for them. God, God was working in their life. It, it just must, I think that must have encouraged them I don't know if you've ever, have you ever really struggled with something that you just feel like you can't change? You have lots of anxiety. I just worried about my anxiety. You can't, you can't can't stop. You've got so much anger inside. You just can't stop. Or there's some controlling habit. There's some, some issue in your life. You just can't break free. Listen, if you've ever been in a situation like that, isn't it so frustrating when someone comes up to you and says, Well, why don't you just change? Why don't you just stop being anxious? Why don't you just stop looking at porn? Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just stop? If I could do that, it's so frustrating. But how encouraging is it for a believer in Christ in the the midst of a struggle to just be reminded, listen, it is not your power. It is not your strength. It's not your brilliance. He is with you. You live by the Spirit. I, I, I think that um, truth should change the way we view our struggles. And maybe some of you here, you're really struggling with something today. Your struggle is not hopeless. My brother, my sister, it's not. You, you are not condemned to live the rest of your life in this cycle of failure. You are not. God God has not abandoned you to solve this problem on your own. He has not. The one who loves you and who saved you through his son is living within you through his spirit, and he is with you to empower you. Paul Paul says to them in verse 9 at the end, he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. You know, to grow a crop in, in a field, that takes a long time. You don't grow a crop in one day. If You ever work construction to, to erect a building? It doesn't happen in one day. It takes a long time, right? You see some of these buildings, are scaffolding there for years, right? It takes a long time for them to go on. I, I think what Paul was saying to them, he wanted to encourage them. God is with you. God will empower you. He's going to change you. But it might take a long time. Give him some time. Be patient. With whom? People will be patient with yourself. But I, I think he was wanting them because remember, they're criticizing each other. They're in all these little groups. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. He said, would you be patient with each other? You look at a brother and you say, you know what? He, he's God's building. Not mine. He's God's building. God's working on him. I'll be patient. Look at a sister. And you say, she is God's field. God is invested in her. He's growing something amazing in her life. I'll be patient. So, but the point is, there is a need for us to be growing. Are you growing? Growing how? The one thing God is concerned about for us is our love for each other. Our love for those around us. That's the one thing He's concerned about. And he is so committed to making that happen among us that he has sent his own spirit here to do that. And so let's welcome that work. Amen? Say, God, change us, grow us, teach us to love. He's committed to doing that. So can I just pray for all of us that God would do that? Father, thank you that you love us. You love us even if we're, if we're not maturing and growing as we ought to. You love us as your own children, and you're committed to us, and, but we want to honor you. We want you to, to develop us and build us and grow us, teach us to love. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that today you would work in our hearts. And if there are any here who are struggling to forgive, struggling to be patient, struggling to love those around them, that you would empower us to do that for the glory of your name. Amen.